Welcome to Future Work, the podcast where we bring you practical tips and insights on the ever-evolving landscape of work. Join us as we explore the trends, innovations, and challenges shaping the way we work today and tomorrow. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Future Work. Today I'm joined by Tracy Brower, who is the VP of Workplace Insights at Steelcase, but how I know her as the author of the book, The Secrets to Happiness at Work. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tracy, you wrote a book about the secrets of happiness at work. What drove you to write that book? Was it a good experience or a bad one? Oh my gosh, I think it was a little bit of both. I actually looked around and thought, my goodness, there are so many people who are loving their work. And I really believe that work could be a positive experience. So that was what led me to do more research. Like what really causes us to be happy? And what are the what are the ways that we can create the conditions for happiness? I just got really curious about that based on seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, as they say. Can you share a bit about the research process? Because obviously there is so much out there and then you have to somehow put it into a book format. So what was the process leading to the book? Yeah, I would say there were a few different elements of the process. First of all, there is so much research on happiness. Like I think we can think about happiness as a fluffy concept, but there's so much research. So that took a lot of time, just looking at academic sources and journal sources and things like that. And then I did a fair amount of writing about happiness and I got comments from people and feedback from people and people who said, well, gosh, I think about it differently. And so that was part of the process as well. And then I did a fair amount of interviews and just some looks at qualitative research as well. And then I looked at how those grouped and bundled and what some of those key themes were. And so that was part of the process in terms of looking at, all right, what are the things that are rising to the surface in terms of the biggest drivers of happiness and the biggest outcomes of happiness also. Amazing. I love that you were able to include some of the comments on your original writing because sometimes, you know, the theory is one thing, but then getting people to actually read that and, and share, well, how are they maybe applying it and then what works and what doesn't, and then being able to write towards the reality of happiness at work is really interesting. So we talk about happiness. You said it can be a fluffy concept. Uh, what will be your definition of happiness and then maybe more specifically happiness at work? Yeah, for me, happiness is about an overall sense of joy and contentment. And that ebbs and flows. Like we're not all bonbons and butterflies every day. It's really natural that it ebbs and flows. And we can have an overall sense of joy or contentment, even if every single day isn't, you know, nirvana for us. So that's part of it. And then Happiness at work tends to be about four key elements. I love that you asked this question. It's really cool. It's often about dedication, like feeling really committed to the outcome and really, really dedicated to that. It's often a feeling of immersion, like you get so immersed in your work and you get going on it. And all of a sudden you look at your watch and you're like, oh my goodness, where's the time gone? There's an energy element to it, which I think of as vigor. So what's the way that I get energized from my work and how am I motivated to put energy into my work? And then it's usually an experience of mattering, like feeling like the work that I'm doing matters and it has meaning. And so again, it's not just like I love every single task, every single day, every single minute, 
but it's those overall senses that the work that I'm doing has meaning and it has those other elements as well. And work is such an important way that we gain that sense of happiness, right? Like, of course, we gain happiness on vacation and with our families and doing things that are non-work related, but work really can be a source of happiness, even if it's not a perfect or ideal work environment. Mm, I love that. So it sounds like it goes a lot deeper than just a fleeting sense of happiness while you're doing something you enjoy. It really goes towards more kind of primal motivations and what really drives us as human beings. So, you know, then obviously the next question is going to be, well, then there's happiness at work, but happiness at work is so much more than just the work itself. Where does work stop and life end or is it all kind of one big mess nowadays? Oh, boy, that's another great question. I love that. I think it's it, to use your words, which I really appreciate. I think it's just all one big mess these days in a really good way. Like, mm. I think one of the things that we can tend to do is think about compartmentalizing work and life. And we tend to follow this narrative that the popular press has has uh, handed to us about how work is bad and work is a grind and work is negative and do as little as you can, right? True happiness comes from not working. And actually work is part of a full life. And so they really can intersect and do intersect. And so, of course, we need time away from work. And of course, that is rewarding and fulfilling. But we can think about work as an, a way that we express our skills and talents, a way that we connect with our communities. And, and that's no matter what kind of work we're doing. We don't have to be solving world peace or world hunger for work to really have meaning in our lives. And so I think that that's part of that, gosh, it all goes together. And we may mm. do it differently. Like you may prefer to have, you know, kind of hard lines between when you're working and when you're not, or I might have a little bit more um, porosity in the boundary where I, you know, take a personal call during the work day or I do some work at night after the kids go to bed. So you can have different right answers to how you manage that boundary, but they really are bound up together work and life and a full life. Yeah, one of the most fascinating articles I came across as work obviously is evolving quite a bit, especially in the last couple of years was this New York Times piece talked about work is now from nine to three and then after dinner again. And it sounds like you've had some of those experiences too. You know, on the topic of work shifting and work evolving, a lot of changes obviously have taken place over the last couple of years. You're based in the US. I see a lot of very scary stats about office occupancy. Is happiness at work going to change now that work is more distributed, now that work happens in more places and at different times as we just talked about? Yeah, absolutely. There's a really interesting set of data that I think about as the hybrid paradox. And this is global data where a lot of things about our lives have gotten better. We're spending less time in our commute, we're socializing more, we're having less sick days, we might have, you know, more time eating out. Like literally that's some of the statistics. But life at work has actually gotten worse for a lot of people, feeling like they have less purpose, feeling like they don't have as clear expectations, feeling like their voice doesn't matter as much. Those are some of the elements. And so the paradox is much of our lives have gotten better, but our lives at work haven't necessarily gotten better. 
And so as we think about happiness at work, I do think it changes with the changing landscape of work. And I think it has to do with really being intentional about when we're present with our colleagues, either virtually or in person, being really intentional about how we lead if we're leaders or how we influence if we're individual contributors, being really intentional about when and where and how we collaborate with others, being really intentional about reminding ourselves of our values. Sometimes with distance, you don't get as many of those cues about your value, right? Like that colleague isn't nodding and smiling at you across the table in the conference room, or you're not, you know, at the coffee machine with a colleague who says, oh, I love that idea that you shared. So I think there's that really needing to remind ourselves of our value and those drive esteem so significantly because work is part of our identity in a really positive way. So I do think it shifts and I think partly it's about new levels of intentionality. Yeah, it sounded like intentionality is definitely a keyword here as we talk about the way that work is evolving and we need to really think about how do we replicate some of the things or maybe even improve some of the things that came very organically when we're sitting side by side five days a week, nine to five. And how do we do that now when, you know, we may not be in on the same day, but we may still have overlapping schedules. That leads, I think, to a really big question. Sometimes I feel like the best organizations now mimic as closely as possible a remote organization, a fully remote organization, where again, the company had to be designed from the ground up as a, you know, a system in which you think very intentionally about how do you get to people to connect when they're all sitting in different places. What is the role now of leaders and managers in creating a positive culture where employees can find happiness? Yeah, I actually think the role of leaders and managers has gotten so much harder. Like I, I've always thought in particular that middle management role is so tough, but I just think it's gotten really, really hard. And I think there's new levels of emotional labor that leaders are doing because they have more pressure in terms of people looking to them for information. We're deluged with information. So people are looking often to leaders and organizations for how does this matter? What does it mean to me and my job? And we are elevating expectations of employees, particularly around well-being. And so a lot of leaders are saying, oh my gosh, I want to be empathetic and ask the right questions, but I want to find the right balance. So I'm not being intrusive and how do I connect people with the resources? Because I'm not necessarily feeling like I have all the resources to help in some of these bigger things. And so there's a lot of emotional labor. But I think if leaders can remind people of purpose and remind people about how their work matters in the scheme of things and the value chain and the way that they deliver to colleagues, I think if leaders can be very present and accessible, there's beautiful research on the extent to which when leaders are present and accessible, that contributes to people's sense of well-being. And that doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you know, when you really are responsive and people can DM you or IM you or you have a wormhole open or you, you know, respond thoroughly to an email, that kind of thing. Um, and I think the other thing that leaders can do is really help to connect people with each other. Sometimes social events, but even more, that's task-related events. So when we share in tasks together, when we roll up sleeves together, or we share common goals, that's a really important way that we bond with teammates. And so when leaders connect people with each other, when they reinforce relationships between and among team members, that's another really, really good way to be influential toward that engagement and happiness. So those are just three. Beautiful. 
Is there a way for companies to measure employee happiness? Because obviously if we say that, hey, companies should focus on this more, they should invest in it more, then the question is going to come up, well, even if we truly believe that this is something important for us to do, how do we know whether it's working or not? And if we see maybe the measurements going in the wrong way, can we intervene? Is there something to be measured here? Uh, yes. I'm working on an article about this topic because it's so important and so nuanced. And interestingly, the research suggests if you measure happiness, you will see an outcome of reduced happiness. Focusing on happiness for its own sake is actually counterproductive. And so a lot of organizations, if they measure happiness by saying, how happy are you? How joyful do you feel? That kind of thing. It actually works to their disadvantage because what it tends to do is focus you on what you don't have, right? Because if you're pursuing happiness, it's because you don't necessarily have enough today. And people define happiness so differently. So a better way to measure, because measurement is critical so that we know if we're getting better and so that we can pull all the right levers to create great work experiences, a better way is to think about what are the sources of happiness and to measure some of that. So to what extent are people feeling connected to the purpose and mission of the organization? To what extent do people feel like they have strong relationships with colleagues? To what extent do they feel trusted or trusting with colleagues, right? Another good one is performance. Like to what extent are people feeling like they have tools and support they need to perform to their best? Or to what extent do people have learning and growth opportunities? All of those are connected, correlated, and linked with happiness based on the research. And so if we're measuring those, that is a really good way to in turn have a sense of the happiness and engagement in the organization without undermining ourselves by asking just about happiness itself. Does that make any sense? It's nuanced, but I think it's important. I think you just saved everyone from making a couple of really big mistakes. Basically listening to this interview saying, hey, this should be a priority for us. Let's ask everyone who, how happy they are currently and then what can we do to do better? <laughs> um, and it totally makes sense, right? Like if you ask people, how are you doing? How happy are you? Then obviously the wheels start turning and we start thinking like, well, actually, that's a good question. How happy am I? <laughs> Maybe not something directly we want to ask about. Right. The other thing about happiness is it can really go up and down. And there's a lot outside of an organization's control, right? Like I may have waked up feeling like, all the butterflies were blooming mm -hmm. and then I got stuck in traffic or my technology didn't work this morning or, oh my gosh, the dog was misbehaving or whatever. So there's a lot that's out of our control and a lot of happiness can be sort of up and down. But if we look at those fundamental issues, that's more helpful in looking at how we can improve over time. So it's actually guiding people to think about it in the right way because you can be very happy uh, with your life, but maybe in that moment, you're not happy in your life because, yeah, you woke up the wrong way or as we see it here frequently, your commute was way too long or something like that. So that makes a lot of sense, asking the right questions. I know you recently wrote about well-being. Um, you just mentioned this earlier. This is something that actually for the first time now in Asia is something that has started to be discussed. I wouldn't say that it's fully mainstream yet and that the taboos have fully been removed, but I do see a lot more now in terms of companies focusing on well-being, making it a priority, putting programs into place. What's the link between happiness and well-being? And also why should companies care about it? Oh my gosh. 
I've been doing a series on mental health and well-being right now, and the business benefits of well-being are incredible. People perform better. They take less sick days. They are retained longer with the organization. They tend to learn and grow more significantly over time. And so organizations see huge payoffs in terms of stockholder value, shareholder value, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, retention, all kinds of things. So there's really good reasons to pay attention to well-being from a human perspective, but also from a business perspective if you're looking to make the case. I think the other thing to know is that well-being, from all the research that I've been doing, well-being does not appear to be a blip on the radar screen. It appears to be something that we will absolutely take forward based on all that we've been through globally. And so um, how we think about well-being and its connection to happiness is that there's a reciprocal relationship. When people are happier, they tend to have greater levels of well-being physically, cognitively, emotionally. And the opposite is also true. So there are really, really good reasons to focus on well-being. And the other thing that I wrote about in that article about business benefits of well-being with all of the data about business benefits is gosh, what are the key leverage points? And according to that set of data, super interesting, there were about eight different sources of data in that one. Focusing on physical well-being, monitoring, training, coaching was a big deal. Help people with the work-life navigation. So hours of work, flexibility, choice, control. And then thirdly was leaders who are perceived as being really supportive and who are able to more fully match skills and jobs. So when people feel more like their skills are being fully utilized or they feel like they will be fully utilized in a potential scenario, those are really, really good for well-being. So those three things tended to be standouts in terms of making a difference. Yeah. So it seems that taking good care of your employees is also good for the business, which I think a lot of people know or may know or should know at least. But again, then putting it into practice is still sort of another thing uh, altogether. And it kind of leads me to another question, which is, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Can we live in a world where what is good for the employee is also good for the company and vice versa? I've been thinking a lot about productivity, which seems to be a big topic nowadays here in, in Asia, especially as again, companies are moving more towards hybrid and remote models where you cannot look someone over the shoulder, you cannot provide direct feedback. And there seems to be at least a sense, although I think Sasha Nadella at Microsoft calls that productivity paranoia, but at least there seems to be a sense that we are less productive. You know, is there a way that we can be meaningfully productive so that the work that we do also adds to what we want to achieve as human beings? So is there a way to balance what companies want and what employees want intrinsically? For sure. I deeply believe, and the research supports, when we do the right thing for people, we do the right thing for the business. The payoffs are significant. And the other thing that we're seeing is that a lot of these metrics absolutely move together. Correlation is not causation, but they move together. When people are more engaged, we tend to see greater productivity. When people are happier, we set, tend to see greater levels of performance. When people are uh, more satisfied with their roles, we tend to see greater retention. So all of those things are really important. I think the other thing that's happened to us right now is we've got this like overemphasis on productivity and we need to think about performance. As humans, we tend to overvalue a lot of times the, the quantitative and we don't always value as much the things that are less tangible. 
And so, yeah, productivity is about turning the crank and it's about number of widgets and about how much, how fast. But we also need to think about how engaged are people? How much are they being retained? In what ways are our investments of people paying off over time because they're able to be more innovative or more creative? So for us to think about productivity is great and important, but it's one metric among many, and the better metric is performance. And so I think that that's one of the things we can consider is how do we make sure that we're valuing the bigger picture of performance and not just focusing in too much on the microcosm of productivity. Yeah. Yeah, the counter argument is usually that, well, but this is something we care about right now. And the other things are more kind of like there's a huge hidden cost in not retaining people, right? In talent attrition, but somehow it's less painful because it's not something that you feel in the moment. But I think it's a really good note on, you know, looking beyond just productivity, looking into performance and what the person can bring to the organization and vice versa. I think we're getting to the end of the time here today. Maybe just like one piece of advice, if you uh, had a billboard somewhere and you could put one piece of advice for companies who want to look into creating happier employees, what would it be? Oh, gosh. I think there are so many. I think um, love your work and learn your work. That might be my billboard. I'm just making that up on the spot. So uh, I might need to wordsmith it later. But but I think if reminding ourselves that we are empowered to appreciate and love our work, even if our work isn't perfect, that's a big deal. We don't have to wait for all the conditions to be perfect to feel a sense of happiness. We can improve our connections and remind ourselves of our purpose and seek learning and growth. And the other part of that is love your work and learn your work. The more we're learning, the more we're stretching, the more likely we are to be feeling a sense of joy. And so when we raise our hand for the new initiative, when we find the problem and we work to solve it, when we figure out the new way, when we really push ourselves for something that we don't already know how to do, that's a really, really good idea in terms of driving our happiness. Uh, and so we can do those things for ourselves and organizations can create the conditions for those as well. So I guess that would be my takeaway for today. I love it. I love it. Okay. If people, and undoubtedly they are, if they're interested to learn more from you and about you, where can they find you online? Yeah, thanks for asking. Steelcase.com is a wonderful resource. TracyBrower.com has all of my information. On LinkedIn, I'm Tracy Brower, PhD. And you can find The Secrets to Happiness at Work wherever books are sold, as they say. Uh, so Amazon or wherever you'd like to buy books. Wonderful. Tracy, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 